We live in an amazing era of Amazon Prime, don't we? Where we get like free two-day delivery. So many things across the world. Literally almost anything in the world can get ordered in one day and just two days later be in your living room. Like manifest itself right into your house. And when it's Amazon, we know it's free two-day delivery. We believe it. How many of you just believe in the power of free delivery? It is awesome. It is final, and its shipping is free. We believe in the delivery. It wasn't always the case. If you remember, maybe just 10 years ago, I remember people thinking, order stuff to your house, leave it on your front step, unsecure purchases and transactions online. How many of you guys remember how crazy it was to think that people would do shopping online on the computer box? Isn't that amazing. I remember those days. I'm like, this isn't going to work. There's so many obstacles. People are going to steal stuff. There were so many dynamics of free shipping, but now we just click it and we believe it. If it says free two-day delivery, we're banking our lives on Amazon. We know it's going to make it in time. How many of you guys remember the days where you were unsure? Like you did not have full faith in what you were purchasing, but now today it's almost guaranteed Guaranteed free delivery. Today, we're beginning a series of talks leading into Easter called Free Delivery. This series is all about resting in the finished work of Jesus. If I could say it like this, religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says work, Jesus says I already worked, now rest in what I've done for you. And so what we're talking about. I believe this series is going to set people free from condemnation and fear. I believe it's going to lift shame and guilt and worry off of your life. You're going to see God as a good father. You're going to see Jesus as the lover of your soul. And you're no longer going to live with a heavy guilt or fear of what could happen because of your mistakes. You know, 1 John 3.20 says it like this. That even when our own hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Do you believe it? church. I love this translation. It says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And I believe that this message of the gospel good news over the next four weeks leading into Easter is going to be greater than any condemnation that could ever come up against you. And that God's going to radically set you free from guilt and shame and condemnation. Turn to your neighbor and say, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm so excited about this series. How many of you guys can't wait till Easter? It's just four short weeks away. And I know you might be thinking he's wrong. It's uh, five weeks away. But we do Easter. It's so nice. And it's so, tr- uh, so nice. We do it twice around here. So we do Easter on Palm Sunday and Easter on Easter Sunday. And I'm expecting that over the next four weeks, God's going to speak to you. But if you bring friends and you bring family, they're going to be lifted and set free to by the power of Jesus name. Come on. Do you believe it today, church? I want to invite you, don't come empty-handed next week. Bring a friend, because Jesus is the gift with a lift. He will lift them up out of their smallness and their insufficiencies and empower them to live a life like no other. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? All right, today to get started, I want to lay a foundation for the next four weeks in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Colossians 1, verse 22. It starts out with two words, yet now. Oh, come on, we just did a whole series on the power of the present and that word now. Everybody say now. Yet now he, Jesus, has reconciled or restored you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. I want you to think about this. This is past tense. It already happened. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus, you've been restored back into perfect fellowship with God your Father. You ask, restored? When was I ever in relationship with God? Well, in the beginning, humanity, Adam and Eve, had perfect relationship with God. It was flawless. It was perfect. The Bible said they were naked and unashamed. They were letting everything hang out. They were fully exposed, and he was fully exposed to them. Hello, somebody. They were free. I'm going to say free. And they walked in perfect fellowship with God. But because of sin, because they missed the mark, that's what sin is. It's simply missing the mark. They were separated. Sin separated them from God, us from God. But the finished work of Jesus, what Jesus did for us on the cross, through that we have been reconciled. We've been restored back to that perfect union with God. 
Verse 22, part B, it says, now, as a result, as a result of what? As a result of what Jesus did for us on the cross, he has brought you to his own presence. He has brought you into his own presence. Some of you might be thinking, man, I'm a Christian. I didn't feel God at all this morning. Well, the Bible says you're in his presence right now. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not real. Just because you might be in a dry season doesn't mean that you are not in the presence of God right now. I love that song we sang, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop. How many of you guys like that song, Waymaker? Come on. It doesn't, just because you don't see it, doesn't mean you're not in God's presence right now. He has brought you into his presence, and now here it is. You are. You are. Now, I know that what you did last night, okay? I know what you've been dealing with in your heart. I know what issues you got going on in your soul. But here's what God says about his children. You are holy. Wow. That means set apart. You are blameless. That means nobody can blame anything on you. And you stand before your God without a single fault. Woo! That's powerful stuff. Now, you might be, not be able to say that about standing before your kids. You might stand before your kids with some faults. You might stand before your boss with some faults. You might stand before your spouse with some faults. You might even look in the own mirror and see all of your own faults. But when God sees you, he says, I see you as holy, blameless, and without a single fault. Come on, church. And in verse 23, it says, but, and everybody's like, but, oh man, the but. Now, this is where all the religious people start thinking, here's a catch. That's free delivery. Isn't really free. It's free, but you got to live holy. Holy. You got to live right. You got to do the right things. You better do it the way it's supposed to be done. But God says, no, 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 no. Let's read it in verse 23. But you must continue to believe this truth. What truth? You are holy. You are blameless. And you stand before God without a single fault. If you'll believe it and you'll stand firmly on it, you don't drift away from that full assurance that you have in Christ, eventually you'll start walking holy. You'll start talking blameless. You'll start living without fault. See, when you invited Jesus into your life, your, your spirit got born again. You became a new creation. But how many of you know your soul is still catching up? You still got addictions sometimes. Sometimes you still got problems. You still got issues. But if you believe in the word, if you lean into Jesus and his free delivery once and for all, your soul will catch up to your spirit. Many times people believe, until I'm caught up and I'm living beautifully, we're not saved. We're not holy. We're not blameless. And God says, no, 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 no. Right now you're saved. If you believe in Jesus, you've made him the Lord of your life, you are holy. That's the way he sees you. You are blameless. And you stand before him spotless, forgiven forever. I said it, forgiven forever. That's what we're calling this week, forgiven forever. Taking notes, week one of free delivery, forgiven forever. Man, if you really believe that, how would that change your relationship with God? If you really believe that you were forgiven forever, free delivery meant free delivery, how would that change your worship to God? If you didn't relate that with that kind of unsure delivery, that partial assurance. Today as we began to sing the songs, the first five minutes of it, you're so bound in condemnation because of what you said this week, what you looked at this week, where you were last night, or whatever you did and you said you never do again, but you did it again this week. And now we get into worship. In the first 10 minutes of this experience, you're just feeling so guilty. You're trying to deal with God out of shame and rejection. And God's going, hey homie, you're holy. Hey, hey brother, you're blameless. How would you worship God without a single fault? How would you lift your hands? How would you start to dance and celebrate the goodness of God? How would you clap that spirit? How would you celebrate all of what God has done? How generous would you be towards God? And how much of a better man or woman would you become if you already knew that this was settled once and for all? If delivery was secure. If delivery, free delivery was yours permanently. But we got to continue to believe it. That's what it says, but you must continue to believe it. Hear me, friend, because the cross, you are forgiven forever. Because of what Jesus did for you, you are forgiven 
forever. This is how God sees you. So what's our part, pastor? What do I do? You keep believing. That's what the Bible said. You keep on standing firmly. You keep praising continually. You remind yourself of the truth of what Jesus has already done for you. Keep being savior focused, not sin focused. Keep looking at what Jesus did last night, not what you did last night. And as you do that, your life will continue to change. Not from the outside in, not from performance inward, but from the inside out, you will transform. When God sees you, he sees you as holy, as blameless, without a single fault. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. I pray that even in this first week, condemnation is already just falling off of your life. But, but pastor, I did this, and I said this, and I've been looking at this, and I've been on this. But you're, if you're a child of God, you are holy, you are blameless, you are without a single fault. Without a single fault. Some of us, that's really hard to believe. But you see, now, in the Old Testament, God required a sacrifice. You read about it all the way from Genesis to Malachi. God would require sacrifice for our sin. The Bible actually says, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sin. So remember when Adam and Eve sinned, God let them know, hey, the moment you sin, the wage of that sin is death. So you're going to die. It's the law of missing the mark. It leads to death. That's what he said. The law of missing the mark leads to death. Like the law of gravity makes things drop, the law of sin leads to death. And when Adam and Eve sinned, there had to be death physically. So what did God do in his mercy? So they wouldn't die. He found an animal. Adam and Eve had covered up themselves with fig leaves. That's religion. They had sewn themselves a fig leaf suit. And they're trying to cover up their own sin. Trying to make it right between themselves and God. Trying to trust in their ability to get free delivery with fig leaves. That's why one of the last miracles Jesus did on earth was curse the fig tree. He said to the fig tree, you'll never bear fruit again, and it withered up and died. Because religion doesn't work. That's what he's saying. Covering it up yourself, taking care of it yourself, saving yourself doesn't work. Religion never bears fruit. And maybe the reason you're not bearing fruit is because you're still stuck in a religious system when it comes to relating to your Savior. And you're not embracing the position you have as a child of God with free, indeed, delivery that God provides. My Bible says, if Jesus, the Son, has set you free, you are free, indeed. Free, for sure. So God goes to Adam and he asks, why do you have fig leaves? What, what, why do you have a fig leaf on? And Adam says, because I'm naked. And God's like, who told you you were naked? I thought we were free. I thought we were right standing. So what does God do? God covers him with a sacrifice. The Bible said God covered him with the skin of an animal. And from that day, God began to require animal sacrifice for the placement of our mistakes. Now, here's what's amazing. In Leviticus 5, God says you're going to bring to the priest, you're going to bring a sacrifice to the priest. And here's what he says. It's got to be an animal without blemish. In other words, you can't look at your field of sheep and say, okay, well, that's the three-legged blind one, so I'll just give that to God today. You know, I don't want him anyway. I'll send that to God. God said, nope, I don't want that sheep. I want the best of the best sheep that you have. I want the firstborn of the flock, and he cannot be blemished. He can't have any mistakes without spot or wrinkle. And now, when you bring the priest that offering, the priest would grab that sheep from your hand, and according to Leviticus 5, he inspects the sheep only. I don't inspect you as a priest, because I already know you're jacked up. you got sin issues. That's why you're here. This is not about you. This is about the sheep. This is about the sheep that's going to deliver you from the consequences of your mess up again. So the priest is not looking at you and saying, oh man, you're a sinner. You can't bring an offering. No, 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 no. That's the whole reason you're here in the house of God is to bring an offering. That's what he's saying. Your sin is not the point. The sheep is the point. The representative of God doesn't look at you in the Old Testament. He looks only at the offering. Is it your firstborn? Is it blemishless? Does it look good? When God looks at me, he doesn't look at me today in the New Testament. He looks at the offering. The reason he can tell me and you that we are holy and blameless and without fault is because the offering is holy. Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice, is holy. 
Jesus is blameless and Jesus is without fault. And here's the thing. Jesus has already delivered. Jesus has already come through. He's already paid the price. He was the perfect sacrifice once and for all. Turn to your neighbor and say, for all. For all. Nobody. Nobody's too far gone for God. Nobody's too, too over the top, sinful, dirty for God. He said, I'm the perfect sacrifice. You are just right for Jesus. And I did it once and I did it for all. And anybody who believes in the finished work of the cross shall not die, but have eternal life. Is anybody grateful for that sacrifice today? Come on. Let's give him praise. When God sees you, He sees the sacrifice of his son, the firstborn of many, the spotless son, Jesus. That's why you've heard someone say, I've been covered in the blood. That's not some weird religious rhetoric. It's the sacrifice of Jesus' blood covering my sin. Either the fig leaves have to cover it or the blood has to cover it. And I'm saying, Jesus, I've been covered by your blood. That's exactly what happened when we placed our faith in Jesus. We got washed, renewed in the blood of Jesus, and now God doesn't see you. He sees sees what Jesus has done for you. He sees a perfect sacrifice. Hear me, friend. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he meant it. Jesus said, it is finished before you ever got started sinning. Jesus finished, he delivered before you ever were a dummy. That's good news. So, pastor, do I take this and just go be an idiot? No, because sin will still ruin your life. That's not what I'm talking about. I could be holy, blameless, stand before God without fault, and go rob a bank today, go to prison, and lose my destiny. That could happen. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about you can't live in an unhealthy reality relationship with God, where when you sin, you don't run towards God, you run away from God. That's what we're talking about. I pray to God that when my kids are old enough to do dumb stuff, and even now in their dumbness, not if, but when they miss the mark in ridiculous ways, I pray that they can come home to dad and talk about it and confess it and cry about it. And we can say, okay, son, we're going to move forward together because my arms are always going to be open to those boys. And here's what Jesus said about me and my parenting as a dad. Jesus said that as a father, I am evil compared to my heavenly father. So if my arms will always be open to my babies, how much more will the arms of God always be open to you and to me, his children? He's looking for you. He says, don't run away from me, run towards me. You know, over the next few weeks leading into Easter, We're going to look back at six hours where Jesus hung on the cross and made seven statements. And I want to give you two of them today. The first word I want you to write down, the first phrase, the first statement is the word forgiveness. Today we're calling this forgiven forever. We're talking about forgiveness. Jesus is on the cross. He's a perfect lamb, firstborn of many, the blameless, holy, righteous one. And now he's on a sinner's cross. The righteous paying the penalty of the guilty. The holy paying the penalty, the price for the unholy. And the first statement out of Jesus' mouth, it's the power of firsts, in Luke 23, 34 is, Father, forgive them. The first thing on his heart, the first thing on his mind, the first thing he wants you to hear as he's doing this sacrifice is, Father, forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I want you to know that that is God's first response to your sin and to my sin. It's always and only forgiveness. And after three and a half years of ministry, Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says it like this. Jesus went around doing good. Nothing but good. For three and a half years, Jesus did nothing but good to people. He healed people. He delivered people. He resurrected the dead. He fed and clothed people. He helped people. He forgave people. He gave them truths and insights and taught them. But John chapter 1 tells us that the people's response was, they received him not. And friend, I wish I could tell you that the first century church missed it because they're idiots, and we would never do that. We would never not receive him. But how many of you know we're just as guilty as they were? You know, he's been so good to you, hasn't he? He's been so good to me. I know it. And yet sometimes we forget his faithfulness. We end up back in a rhythm 
of complaining. We end up back in rhythms of addictions and patterns of complaining and shortcomings. And he's been so good. He's been nothing but kind, so forgiving. And yet we end up like the same people of the first century, rejecting him. Rejecting his sacrifice. Rejecting his saviorship. Instead of accepting him, we reject him. And so when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, I want to be clear. He wasn't just talking about them. He wasn't talking about the Roman soldier pinning his hand to the cross. He wasn't just talking about Judas who betrayed him or Pontius Pilate who did not stick up for him. He wasn't just talking about Herod who hated him. He was talking about me. And friend, he was talking about you. He was looking into the future and he says, Father, forgive them in 2020. They don't know what they do when they sin against you. What does that mean? God, they don't even understand the magnitude of the sacrifice and what I am delivering them from. They don't understand the ramifications. But God, in the midst of it, forgive them anyway. Forgive them anyway. First, forgive. First, forgive. Jesus is so faithful. He's so good that even when we turn, and even when we fall, and even when we forget, his response is always the same. It's never justice or judgment on you. It's not anger. It's not shock or surprise by your sin. It's forgiveness, and it's forgetfulness. He forgives, and he forgets. Psalms 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, he separates you from your sins, your mistakes. And he throws that thing, whatever it is that you did, into a sea of forgetfulness. Into a sea of forgetfulness. He says, I'm here to forgive and to forget. That's how you know. If you feel like God is reminding you of what you did and how bad you were, it's not God. It's either you, the enemy, or the person that you hurt. The only three people who remember your sins are the people that you hurt with sin, yourself, or the enemy of your soul. And God forgives it and forgets it only. That's why I know if I ever feel condemnation in Christ, it's not Christ. If I ever feel guilt from God, it's not from God. If I have confessed my sins, the Bible says he's faithful and he's just to forgive me and cleanse me. That means he forgives me and he forgets. He gets rid of it completely. We serve a God like your crockpot. Fix it and forget it. Fix it and forget it. And I pray that when what you do, this first statement, what this does for you is that every time that you fall, every time you miss the mark and anger rises up, that's sin, or envy rises, or jealousy, or an addiction rises, I pray you don't run away from God. I pray that you don't run from the house of God. I pray that you run towards the house of God, towards his presence, towards his people. I want you to picture Jesus when you're in sin with his arms open on the cross saying, I forgive you. I'm open to you. I'm good enough for you. What I did is good enough for you. And I want to move forward. I love you. Here's the thing. You were surprised by what you did. I wasn't. Sin does not surprise God. Sin does not psych God out. Sin is easy for a solution-filled Savior. He knows what to do with your coming short. That's what separates him from any other God in any other religion. He can actually solve your sin problem. But are we not so self-righteous? We say, like, God, I promise. When we sin, we're like, God, I promise I will never, ever, ever do that again. I'm so serious. By raising of hands, unashamedly, how many of you guys ever made a deal with God? A divine deal with God. God, I promise you get me out of this. I will never, ever, ever, ever. And then we're shocked when we do it again. And the majority of our relationship with God becomes about what we're never, ever, 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 ever going to do again. We get so focused on our mistakes when we approach him. The only time we talk to God eventually is when we screw up. And how we're never, ever, ever going to do it again. This is by definition a bad relationship with anybody as far as anybody's concerned. A guilt-filled relationship. You will start to resent the person you're talking to. And feel worthless about yourself and beat yourself up in your sin. And Jesus is like, hey, come on. I thought you said you believed in what I delivered to you. I thought we were friends, man. I thought what I did was enough for you. Can we just let it go and enjoy life and be more focused on how awesome I was than what you did again? Can we just focus on how great I am and how weak your sin is and just get past your deals with me to never, ever, 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 ever sin again? He's like, focus on me, your Savior. And I promise you, you'll miss the mark less and you'll enjoy relating to me more. Focus on me, your Savior. 
Sin will fall off your life, and you will relate to me out of what I've done, not what you keep doing. Relate to me about what's finished, what's delivered, not what is about to be delivered from you. God, I promise this time I'm going to deliver. I'm going to give you so much free delivery. He's like, would you just focus on the delivery? It's already been sent and shipped, and it's at your door, and it's available to you right now. This is freedom, people. Not what you keep doing, but what he's already done. Value that. And I promise you, you'll become more like Jesus and less like you. You know, in Luke 14, we saw a large crowd following Jesus. And they were following him for a lot of different reasons. Some, an example to live by. Some saw Jesus as a teacher. Some saw him as like a celebrity. Some as a great miracle worker. He was famous. But all these approaches didn't satisfy his heart. We see him say some pretty harsh things to this huge crowd of thousands of people that are following him. But in Luke 15, something shifted. And Jesus drew near to the sinners and the publicans. And there it seemed that Jesus' heart and his mission was at home. When someone comes to him and looks to him as Savior, that's what really satisfies his heart. Celebrity doesn't make him feel good. Great teacher with great principles doesn't really help him. When they come to him to learn from him, you know, I can learn from you, and I'm still depending on me. Today we're talking about principles. You can learn a principle and still depend on yourself to fulfill that principle. I'm just learning from you. You're my role model. But when I come to you and I take you as my life, I take you as my Lord, I take you as my everything, that's a different story. Jesus did not come to be emulated after. Like, wow, look at Jesus. Let's be like him. No, he came to be used. He came to be used. When he says, I'm the bread of life, what do you do with bread? Do you set it on a stage and say, oh, wow, I admire the way that bread looks today. It's so sliced and it's so toasted and soft on the inside. No, it's not for admiration. Though we admire Jesus, when he says, I'm the bread of life, what does he expect you to do? Emulate him? No, he expects you to eat him. Don't emulate, only eat me. Eat of me. Jesus came into a world of hungry people. People that look for food in all the wrong places. And after you eat, you still feel hungry. Only the word of God, only Christ can satisfy the world around him of hunger. When he says, I'm the bread of life, he expects you to eat him, to use him. When he says, I'm the water of life, he expects you to drink of him. So that when people come to him, they're not there to just take take from him. They're there to help themselves. That's what these people are here for. There's this big crowd. They're not here to take from Jesus. They're there to help themselves from Jesus. They help themselves by learning from him and then applying his principles to their life. That doesn't satisfy Jesus. If we just come in here every weekend, we learn from him, we learn about him, we admire him and his beauty and his holiness, and then we don't use him, we're not, don't fool yourself, he doesn't get excited about that. They, they came after him and he says hard things like you need to count the cost, renounce all that you have, take up your cross and follow me. And then the very next chapter, Guess who Jesus drew near to? The worst of the worst. He's like, you people are trying too hard. I'm going to go hang out with really bad people. All the sinners and the tax collectors, which were like the worst. And the Pharisees started murmuring, let's read it. This man receives sinners. He's telling all these nice followers to reject everything and just get rid of everything and to stop emulating him and start eating of him and then Now he's sitting with the sinners. These people are worse than anybody. All of a sudden you find Jesus' heart at home. Because when you come to him as Savior, you are acknowledging, I am a sinner. And you know what? He's a better Savior than you will ever be a sinner. He loves being approached as a Savior. He's a better Savior than we ever on our worst day have sinned against him. Aren't you glad he's better than you are a sinner? So when these people came to him, He shared the parable of the lost sheep, and he starts pouring out one of the biggest lost sheep, lost coin, prodigal son, one of the biggest teachings in the Bible on repentance to the worst of the worst people. And all the good people that want to emulate him, don't eat of him, miss this moment. And he's cuddling up with sinners. Everybody's talking about him. So Jesus started off with the parable of the lost sheep. He says a man has a hundred sheep, and he lost one sheep. One out of a hundred. Oh, right? He has 99 sheep left. And the Bible says the shepherd left the 99 to seek for the one who's lost. 
I like to ask you, does any shepherd do this? No way. If I were a shepherd, I'd cut my losses. They have one loss, but they will say, I still have 99. Most shepherds wouldn't even notice and be counting their sheep that often. You realize in order to notice you're missing a sheep, you got to be counting sheep continually. They all look the same. After a while, 100 sheep all look the same. Continual counting had to happen to realize that one sheep went missing. I like to tell you this morning, church, some people are against churches paying attention to people and counting people. I'm like, we count people all the time because people matter to us. Every mad life matters to us. Of course we're going to count our sheep. How would you know if anybody's missing if you don't count them? If you don't look at who's here, I want to tell you, you make all the difference when you are here and it matters to us when you are not here. I don't care how big we ever grow. You're following a shepherd who counts sheep continually in order to know that one out of hundreds are missing. We know when you're here. We know when you're sleeping. We know when you're away. We know when you've been bad or good. So be good. No, I'm just kidding. So you got to count sheep. So this shepherd is continually counting to, happen, to realize one sheep out of 99, all look the same, went missing. And if even I'm way off, and that's not the case, I'm not about to leave the 99 to go find the one sheep or less, I lose more. I risk the loss of 15 sheep by going after one sheep. Leave 99 alone, you could lose 10 at once, right? Only one shepherd in the world would do that. Only one shepherd in the universe would leave the 99 to go risk and look for the one because everyone to him is so precious, so valuable. Do you know how he's the only one who can look through a crowd of sheep and see you as precious and unique? He is God. It's as if you're the only person in this room. It's as if you're one-on-one with God. And it's like, my, my goodness, that's how people often say, how does he know? Pastor Nate, you preach as if you're preaching right to me. And I'm saying it's not me knowing. It's God knowing. It's his spirit knowing. He says, I know my sheep. They, they know my voice. And when I call them, I call them by name. I'm interested in the success of my sheep. Jesus says every single person counts enough to meet them in the exact right right place at the exact right time with exactly what they need. That's the Holy Spirit of God saying we need Jesus. Jesus has what we're looking for. Every single time he'll meet you right where you're at. So the Bible says our shepherd, he left the 99. He went looking for the one that's lost. And finally, he found it. Luke 15, 5. And when he found it, this is what happens. He lays it on his shoulders. The shoulders are a place of his strength. The sheep doesn't have to walk anymore. Doesn't have to try anymore. And then rejoicing. Wow, rejoicing. It's not like naughty sheep. It's not like slapping sheep in the face, right? Don't run away from me like that. You you could have drowned. You could have been killed. Naughty sheep. Right? You're so mischievous, always going astray, never listening. You cost me so much extra time and effort and worry. Don't you know how far I had to go to find you? Now, that's a, this is a normal response from Jesus, abnormal from us. You would do this to your dog. Fido, stay in our yard. Don't go in the neighbor's yard. Bad boy. To your kids. Come on, work with me, parents. You can't run away from mommy, honey. I could have lost you. Do you want to get lost, Dave? Do you want to run around Wegmans? I could lose you. Do you want to get lost? No, Dad. Then stay with me. Obey me. Listen to my voice. Follow me. That's a normal conversation with a squirrely child. Come on, don't leave me up here alone. (sighs) Dave, do you want to die? Do you want to go get hit by cars in the parking lot? No. Stay with me. Right? This is not normal. Normal is that. This is out of this world, this conversation, this sheep thing. A rejoicing shepherd over the stupidest sheep in the flock? Rejoicing. I'd like to tell you that's the style of your good shepherd. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Not correcting. Not yelling at you. Not saying, do you want to die? Follow me. It's the style of your shepherd. Then in verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. Now this is extreme. Out of this world, over-the-top sweetness from your Savior. Saying to them, his friends, rejoice with me. Party with me. I found my sheep which was lost. Who does this? You found your sheep that was lost. So what? You're a shepherd. You lose sheep all the time. Who cares? He throws a party. 
There's only one being in the universe who would throw a party when one person turns his heart towards him, who would throw a party. He's my best friend. I love what he does every weekend here at Hope. His name is Jesus. He's getting ready to throw a party today for you, for someone sheep. He will leave everybody to find you. I'm so excited about this Savior who's irrationally good, ridiculously good. He throws a party over a lost sheep. And then he says in verse 7, I say to you, we got to read this really closely. Likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Underline the word repents. Repents. Underline it in your mind. Repents. Then over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Wait a second. So this story Jesus is telling to the sinners is about the subject of repentance? Jesus' main point he's getting at in this story is to show us what repentance looks like. And yet I'd like to ask you, how? Where? How did the sheep repent? As far as I see it, the sheep did nothing but be stupid. Repent means to do a 180 and turn back to God. Repent means to turn around and go the other direction. You tell me, did the sheep turn around in this story? Did the sheep go towards the shepherd at all? How did the sheep repent? I said, how did the sheep repent? The shepherd left the 99. The shepherd searched high and low. The shepherd found the stupid sheep. The shepherd picked up the sheep. The shepherd carried the sheep on his shoulders. The shepherd rejoices. The shepherd calls to his friends and pays for a party for a sheep. The shepherd did everything. What did the sheep do? How is this a story about repentance, Jesus? I see no turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus as Savior. What did the sheep do? He ran away. He went astray. He got picked up, and he got partied over. Let's go over it again. He ran away. He went astray. He got picked up, and he got partied over. The sheep did nothing except consent to being loved. That's the only thing the sheep can do. What do you expect? He's a sheep. It's the only thing he can do. And to God, this is what he talks about in repentance, regards to repentance. The sheep consented to be carried instead of saying, I can walk, I can walk, I got this, you found me, all right, I'm coming home, I'll walk back to the flock, don't throw a party, don't do anything. Nope, he just let himself be picked up. The sheep consented to rest in the power of another's strength. On the strong shoulders of a savior named Jesus. The sheep allowed himself to be lifted and loved. The sheep allowed himself to be considered enough to be carried. So many people won't even consider themselves worth anything after they sin. Enough to be carried. But this sheep considered himself enough to be carried by the strength of his savior. The sheep allowed his story to be the purpose of a party. Some sheeple. They don't want to share their story because they don't want to be embarrassed and be the person that the party pops over. You know, it takes strength to share your story. Can we just celebrate all the stories that have been shared in this house of addiction, of abuse, of freedom in Jesus? So many sheeple don't want to share their story. And yet that's what God defines as repentance. Partying poppers. People who allow their story of stupidity to be celebrated in the goodness of God's mercy, love, grace, forgiveness, and magnify how awesome his saving power is over the silliness of your sin. And then we see a third parable, the story of the prodigal son, where a man has two sons. Younger came to his father and said, give me my share, dad. In other words, I can't wait for my dad to die so I can get his money. Can you give me my inheritance now? I wish you were dead. Obviously an insult to his father. And in that day and age, it's an insult that's punishable by death. Death by stoning, actually. The father, in his mercy, divides his inheritance amongst his boys. And listen to it. The son took his wealth and went to a far country. The sheep... We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We get lost in fields all by ourselves, doing our thing. 
This guy went to a, a far country to lose himself, spent everything he had on riotous living, and when his money ran out, his friends ran out, and he was broke. So he went to work for a Gentile who had a pig pen. This man was in the dirty meat business, you know, ham and bacon business, huh. probably getting ready to sell some meat at the market. So he told this prodigal son to feed and fatten up the pigs for market. As a Jew and to Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to, the pigs are the pits, the lowest of the low. It's the bottom of the barrel. It's disgusting to hear this story to them. It's saying this boy was lost, 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 lost. And in Luke 15, 16, Jesus said, and he would have gladly, the son would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate because no one gave him anything. And he's looking, man, everybody's like, wow, he is desperate. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants? we got to listen to that. Hired servants have enough bread and to spare. And I perish with hunger. How many of you know in the father's house there was always bread enough and to spare? Extra leftover fullness of life. Hey, you're in the Father's house today, and he has more than enough supply for you. His grace is more than enough for you. Come on, I'm so glad there's enough bread and to spare in the Father's house. And he knows that about his Father's house. And so this young man's thinking, my father must have bread. He's got extras. He's got leftovers. Did he miss his father? No. What is he thinking of? His stomach. I perish with hunger. And the only reference to the father is this from the boy. The father's hired servants in the house are not hungry. They have enough bread and leftovers, bread to spare. So verse 18, if I'll arise and go to my father, I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and blah, 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 and yada, da, 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 and I'm no longer called your son. I'm so sorry. I'll never, ever, ever just make me like one of your hired servants. Why? That's the point. Why? Because hired servants have bread enough and to spare. His whole motivation for coming home was to fill his stomach. And Jesus is sharing this parable, teaching on repentance. He gave up being a son. He came back for one reason only. Father, would you fill my tummy? Make me like one of your hired servants. He had a whole speech, but the but real punchline. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But here's the main point. Here's what he's getting at. Make me one of your full-tummied hired servants. Why? He wants to eat. He's hungry. And the Bible said he arose and he came to his father. But when his father was, when he was still a great way off, that means the father must be looking for him on his tippy toes toes, with joyful anticipation of good things for his children, saying, I can't wait. Is he coming home today? Is he coming home today? I hope he's coming home today. And when his father saw him, he ran to him. He had compassion on him. He fell on his neck and kissed him. So we went through all the memorized confession. He started to make me one of your hired servants, but the father never let him finish that garbage. I will never, ever, ever, I just want to make a deal with you, God. He interrupted the son and said, bring forth the best robe and put it on my son. Cover him in my best. Not these fig leaves. Bring forth the ring of authority. The ring's like a credit card. You don't give a credit card to an idiot. If he punches that thing on a clay tablet, it pays for anything in the Father's name. Give him the credit card. Give him the ring of authority and let him represent me again. Bring forth some shoes for his feet. He has a right as my son to stand in my presence. And what did the boy say the rest of the night? Absolutely nothing. He kept his mouth shut. He wasn't driven to come back because he missed his father to his house. He came back because he missed the food at his house. And the father says, kill the fatted calf. Oh, my gosh. Let's eat and party. What is this father, a fool? He's not teaching his son anything. He's not teaching him any lessons. He's giving the son exactly what he wants. Food. Good food. The best food in the house. He's playing right into his manipulative little jerk game. And the older brother's like, you are so nasty. A lot of people say in order to repent, you got to truly be sad and sorry. And you got purpose in your heart. Never, ever, ever, ever do it again, son. Never go astray again. Never waste again. Never sin again. Where do you see that approach in the story about repentance? 
In some nations, if you come to the altar and you don't look sad enough, they will send you back. No joke. Ask Jocko. You're not sorry enough. You're not crying enough. We know where you were last night. It's not been long enough. You need to feel it harder. And they'll tell you, come back when you really mean it. True story. It again looks to me like this boy came home for the wrong reasons. He came to the altar with the wrong motivation. He's hungry for food. Not the father. Not the love of the father, but the longing for food. But you know something about God? Do you know something about Jesus? Whatever your reason is, when you come towards him, he will run after you. I said when you draw near to him, he will run full-fledged after you. That's our God. He will run to you regardless of your reasons. Repentance looks regardless of your reasons. Some of you came to church to find a spouse today. I'm happy for you. A lot of cuties in the house. Some of you came to church to do business today. I'm glad for you. A lot of opportunity in the house. Some of you came to Jesus because someone scared the hell out of you when you were a kid. And if hell is real, we might as well give fire insurance, give our lives to Jesus just in case. I mean, your motives are all mixed. So many times people accept Jesus into their lives with a focus on, on him removing their sin, saving them from sin. And they're... They're, they're in love. They're not, lo- they're not in love with a Savior who has life to the fullest to offer them and a, a brand new destiny and freedom forever, forgiveness forever. Here at Hope, we focus more on the Savior's beauty than the sin behaviors we're leaving behind. We focus more on Jesus' beauty in front of us than the junk that we're leaving behind. Because we believe it's looking into Jesus where lives are truly formed. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. So many people are focused more on the food than they are the Father. So many people related to Jesus based on their sin rather than Him being their Savior. If these are stories of repentance, Jesus is telling, what did the sheep do in order to be saved, to be found? The sheep simply got an agreement with the shepherd. The sheep said, if this is what you want to do for me, the sheep said, if this is your will for my life, I don't deserve it. It's crazy. It's outlandish. It's extravagant. But I won't fight you on it. I'll receive it. And I'll rest on the shoulders of your finished work. The son had a speech. Big plan. He was cut off. And instead of speaking up, he got an agreement and just let it happen. Repentance is saying, whatever the father says, I say. Whatever the shepherd says is right, is right and I won't fight. And I thank you, Father, that even though I don't act holy and blameless and without a fault, when you see me, you see me as holy and blameless and without fault. And I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to run right back to you. I'm going to stay on your shoulders. I'm going to stand in the new shoes that you put on my feet. I'm going to walk around in the robe of righteousness that you threw on me. I'm going to wear the ring you're trusting me with again. I feel unworthy to be your son, but if you say I'm your son, I'm your son. Let's start again. And God says, it was finished before you even started, son. It was free delivery before you even screwed up like a dummy. And the older son is sitting at home. He's like, you're not blameless. You're the biggest jerk. I give you all the blame. You're ruining this family. And the son's like, nah, I say what dad says. He says, I'm blameless. Holy, you're not set apart. You're the biggest loser on the planet. No, I get an agreement with what dad said. Let's eat. He says, it's time to eat, and I'm holy. I'm set apart. He says, I'm without spot or wrinkle or blemish. I don't care what you say. Listen to dad. Dad says I'm holy. Dad says I'm blameless. Dad gave me these shoes. Dad gave me this robe. Dad gave me this meat. Dad gave me this ring. Dad said this is who you are. I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. In my father's house, guess what, son? There's a place for me, too. And all the older religious people, sons, are all like, man, I can't believe they're letting him in. He's such a jerk. And he's like, "Ah, did you hear what dad said? Did you hear what dad said? I say what he says. I say what he says. So what do you do when you miss the mark? What do I do, pastor? Do I act like it never happened? No. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you'll confess your sin, he is faithful and he's just. Think about the word just. He's not faithful and merciful. He's not like, oh, I'm showing mercy to you. No, he's faithful and just. In other words, it's the right thing to do for God to forgive you. What? Yes. Because justice was already poured out on his son, Jesus. God already judged Jesus. 
So the just thing to do for God is to forgive you for the price that his son paid. Otherwise, it's of no effect. Imagine if you were in front of me at the drive-in line at Dunkin' Donuts, right? And you paid for my order. Now the just thing to do is for Dunkin' to give me that order for free. I feel like something really good is about to happen to me. Anybody want to do this? I've had this happen to me. Somebody paid for me in front, and they don't give you a chance to pay for it because, like, hey, he already paid for your order. A just thing for Duncan would be, let me go for free because he paid for it. It's been paid for. Now, they could charge me again and not tell me that the car in front of me paid the bill and make some extra bank. But the just thing to do is to say it's already been paid for. I want to tell you, Jesus is in the drive-thru in front of you. And the just thing for them to do is to give you your food for free. It's free delivery. Same day, same moment, delivery. It's been paid for. The right thing for God to do is to forgive you. That sounds so bold. It's biblical, actually. And it's not because he's light on sin. Look at the cross. You think God's light on sin? It's not because he gives the wink and the greasy gun to sin. No. Look at the judgment that was poured out on his own son, his favorite, Jesus. But now because of that payment, he's just to forgive you. Not merciful, not taking it easy on you. It's the right thing to do for God to forgive you. And he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He said, if you'll confess, this word confess is from the Greek word homogeo, which means homo means same. Confess, literally translated, is homogeo, which means to say the same exact thing God says. God says, if, if you'll say the same thing about your sin that I say about it, I'll forgive you. If you'll say the same thing that the shepherd said, the father said, I'll forgive you. If you'll notice, the sheep said the same thing the shepherd said. The shepherd said, let's rejoice. The sheep was like, bah. He was lost, and so now he's found. The sheep says, yes, let's rejoice. The father says, slay the fatted calf. Let's eat. And the son said, that's why I'm here in the first place. Let's eat. He didn't say, let me work first as one of your hired servants and earn the food. That's what he tried to say, but he got shut down. Thank you, Jesus. That's religion. No, once he was cut off by his father, he kept his mouth shut, and he said the same thing the father said. Let's eat, everybody. The word confess means to get in agreement and say the same thing that God says about your son. And the same thing that God says about you is holy, blameless, without a single fault. So when we miss the mark or screw up, we say, my sin is forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me, and you call me holy, and I'm not going to beg for something that's already been purchased for me. It'd be like going behind in the drive-thru and saying, please, 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 can I have my food for free today? They're like, you idiot, it's paid for. Can I pay for it? It's already paid for. Can I please have it? Some people sound like this with their relationship with Jesus. God, please forgive me. I'm really sorry. And he goes, you don't have to say it like that, man. Hey, I love you. You're my sheep. I love you. You're my son. Why are you whining like that? That's annoying for everyone in this relationship. God, please, please, I promise I'll never, ever, ever. We say the same thing to God about our sin and the same thing God says about us. That's how we get forgiven forever. Hear me, friend. When you confess what God says, he forgives you instantly. He forgives you completely. He doesn't kind of forgive you. People kind of forgive people. But God says, no, 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 no. I forgive you completely. I forgive you repeatedly. I forgive you freely. So the first thing Jesus says on the cross is, Father, forgive them. Number one is the word forgiveness. And real quick, number two, the word of salvation. We can forgive, but only God can save. Jesus forgives, and he calls us to forgive, but he calls us not to save. He says, you can't save. We can't. He actually said it like this in Psalm. Salvation, it's of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Like, this is my job. You can't do this. The second word on the cross is the word of salvation. Write it down. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is the sinner on a sinner's cross getting exactly what he deserved. He says, remember, you, you tell me how this sounds like repentance. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I assure you, Jesus replied, I assure you, I promise you, I give you full assurance. I give you full acceptance. Today, you will be with me in paradise. This man was staring at eternity and he said, I'm in trouble, Jesus. Well, wait a minute. 
Where's the prayer? Where did he say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I invite you in my heart. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, Jesus. No, he said, I'm in trouble. Jesus saw his heart turned towards him as Savior. And he overwhelmed this thief on the cross with assurance and acceptance. Saying, don't worry. Today, we're going to be together in paradise. I'll save you. All the religious people are like, wait a minute. Hold on. Put that up. What did he say again? He said, remember me? Remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's a repentance prayer? That doesn't work. That can't work. That can't be. How do you know he meant it? Where's the transaction? Where's the blood? Where's the sacrifice? You mean that is repentance? Jesus says, yes. You take one small step towards Jesus. And in his dying breaths, Jesus runs to him with full acceptance, full assurance, full salvation. His salvation prayer is, Jesus, remember me. I need you to help me. So unreligious, so unearned, so short-lived. How do we know he's going to live it out? How do we know he means it? Just one small step towards a Savior. But Jesus has promised, makes a promise to him for salvation that same day. We in the business call that same day delivery. Same day free delivery. How many guys love same day delivery? I'd like to tell you today is your day. Today is same day free delivery. Not two days free shipping with Prime. We're talking about free shipping with Jesus. Same day day delivery remember me God I need you God I'm a mess God I screwed up royally Jesus would you remember me assuredly I tell you with full assurance full acceptance today we're going to paradise brother man that doesn't seem right does it have to that doesn't seem fair it never should doesn't seem like there was the it just seems so incomplete. Are you God now? What did the sheep do? What did the son do? What did the sinner on the cross do? Remember me. Okay, I agree with what you said. Salvation is agreeing with what God said. That's confession. That's faithful and just. I'm not downplaying confession of sins. I'm saying this is what it looks like. This is what Jesus talks about. Your Savior talks about when he talks of repentance. Today is your day of free, free delivery, free same-day shipping delivery. Today is your day of salvation, the Bible says. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, all over the place, if you want to get back into relationship with Jesus, and you've done these gyrations with Jesus where you promise and make deals and say, I'll never, ever, 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 ever again, and you're sick of that garbage, he is too. Today is a day of free delivery. Today is a day you get set free from circles and patterns of ridiculousness where you focus more on your sin than you do your Savior. Today is a day you start to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and you get set free free indeed. No longer looking at self, but looking at Savior. No longer focused on sin, but focused on the goodness of your Savior. Look at what he did. I don't care what you did last night. I care what he did 2,000 years ago on that cross. His salvation, his mercy, his sacrifice, it's enough for you today. Today is your day of freedom. Come on, let's get back into relationship with Jesus once and for all. Once and for all, maybe you've never opened up your life to relationship with Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you've never given your heart to him. Today, you can have a whole new beginning. I'm telling you, Jesus is not here to control your life or ruin your life. He's here to set your life free into life to the fullest. Today is a day of freedom for you. He said, I didn't come to captive. I didn't come to make you entrapped and enslaved to rules and religion and bondage. I actually came to set you free from all that and give you life to the fullest. So if you want to get back into relationship, you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time this morning, it's so simple. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, you ask him with your mouth, you will be saved. So by a simple act of faith this morning, if you would just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, if that's you this morning, raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with right now. Thank you, ma'am. That's awesome. He's here for you. He's not judging you. All his judgment. All his judging 
has been done towards his son. Today you can be set free indeed. Free delivery is his desire. One more moment. If that's you this morning, you got to get back into relationship or you want to get into relationship with Jesus for the first time. Today, the same day, free delivery. Come on. Can we celebrate these decisions, church? Thank you, Jesus. Getting up on this um, spring forward day was the best decision you made. And we celebrate with you today. We're so excited about this decision. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, I give you my heart today. I give you my life. Would you remember me? I say yes to your shepherding. You can carry me. You can pay for my sins. You can feed me. I want to eat your food. I'm here to take from you. You're the Savior. I'm the misser. I missed. I need you. Forgive me. Wash me. Make me a new creation. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, let's celebrate one more time.